Good morning, everyone. Glad to have you here on this uh, fabulous Sunday to uh, to worship together with us as a community. And uh, thank you for those uh, new faces that I see here. Glad to have you with us to uh, to join us. And as uh, Jared put, uh, the more recent and continual people that are with us, not the old people, right? We're all young at heart here. I just got to give you a hard time. I say stuff like that all the time and get myself in trouble. So, you know, I'm just being like Peter. I like to sip my foot in my mouth, right? Sometimes, right? We all do that. No, uh, I'm glad to have you here to worship together with us. And, um, you know, a few years back, there were these run of commercials that uh, I personally, I loved. I found out actually this week, my wife had never seen a single one of them. Um, but, you know, they, these, these commercials, they kind of got into the popular psych, you know, psyche of America. It's one of those commercials that, that kind of develop a saying. You know, they would start with uh, someone in some well-trained position. And there's, you know, there's some profession, they're solving an issue only for the other people around them to find out that they're truly not a doctor, right? You know, performing surgery in the moment or a nuclear physicist who's helping to avert a nuclear meltdown. No, they were just regular people, right? But they did do something last night. What did they do? Anybody? They stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night, right? My wife had no reference point to that. She's like, what are you talking about? And so I was like, I guess that's not a bad thing. She's watching less TV. They did stay at Holiday Inn Express last night, right? And it get, this, this idea of staying at this Holiday Inn and being so intelligent and being able to stay there and save money gave them the freedom to what? Play this role they had no qualifications playing, right? Well, in our, in our passage today, and I imagine kind of as these things, as Jesus is going along and he's doing his ministry in front of these religious leaders, I imagine in a way it's somewhat how these Pharisees saw scenes of Jesus playing out in front of them, right? Jesus wasn't a priest, right? He wasn't from the tribe of Levi, and so therefore he shouldn't have the ability to be speaking law and te- teaching law, right? He's uh, not a member of any type of political group. He's not a Pharisee or a Sadducee or a scribe. Yet he's giving, you know, he's standing here giving authority over things. He has no formal training as we know of, of being a rabbi, studying under some other rabbi or teacher. Yet here he is interpreting the law and doing it out. And this man, Jesus, although he has none of these things, none of these trainings, none of these authority places, he seemingly has the position, though, at giving himself of this ultimate authority and giving people permission to do something that they were not normally supposed to do, right? And I think they, the question that a lot of them are asking in this, in this early ministry of Jesus is, who does he think he is, right? Like that, if you were in that, that surgery room and this guy's telling you to give this and do all this, like, wait, you're not Dr. Johnson. He's like, no, but I did say the Holiday Inn Express, right? You kind of go, hold up a second. Who does he think he is? And I think this is the, one, the main question that Luke is trying to get us to answer in this passage. Unfortunately, I think a lot of times we jump to things about the Sabbath and we get to answering the question of, so should, does this, is Jesus teaching that we should or shouldn't do these things or how or things he's saying and doing? Or did he just merely stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, right? And claiming something that doesn't belong to him. And we see in this, these, this passage today in 1 through 11, there's two situations that help us to answer that question of who is this man? Who does he think he is? And does he have the authority to do what he's trying to do? 
And I think this first situation, it, it, it kind of seems a little bit odd if you, you know, at first. I mean, the disciples are just merely walking through the field, walking probably through the corners of the field, which as you know, were left what? Undone. In our time in Leviticus, the, the corners of the field were left unharvested for people that needed food to come and pluck grain as they needed, right? But what had happened in time is what? That that was not an illegal thing. That was actually something very much allowed by the law. But what had happened in time is that there was a sense of you're not allowed to do that when? On the Sabbath. Because it was seen as that, pluck, not only the plucking was seen as harvesting, and the taking of that and bringing it in is like bringing in the work. And then they, it says, well, notice what? They crushed it up in their hands, right? They rubbed it in their hands. What are they doing? They're threshing, right? And then they're also in there, they're separating the wheat from the chaff, right? You're going to get rid of the other parts that are not going to be. And now you're going to be putting it in your mouth to eat, right? You're doing all of the work of harvesting right here, right? but you're doing it on the Sabbath. It, it, it would normally be okay, but today is not the right day, right? It, it seems a little odd at first, and then Jesus comes and points to a story way back in with David, back in the Old Testament, that has nothing to do with doing work, right? And you go, this is kind of a little bit weird. You know, I think it's, at first it seems a bit odd, but as we take a look, closer look, I think we see what's going on. Jesus' point here is what he's going to get at, is that he is in the same position as David was in the men that followed him. And in David's time, what is Jesus called to? He says that they were a what to the rule? An exception to the rule, right? David, if you know the story, to go back, David was the anointed king of Israel. Saul, the prophet, had anointed David when he was young to be the king of Israel. But was David immediately made king? No. Who was still king? Saul. And where is David? In, and early on, he's in Saul's court, but Saul doesn't like the fact that this man has already been anointed as his successor. He's a threat to him, right? And so he threatens David's life. And David is on the run from Saul, yet he is not yet crowned king, but he has been what? Anointed as such. And if anybody has the full righteous king, it's David, even though he hasn't taken a hold of that yet, even though he hasn't grasped that authority yet, to putting the crown on his head, he has the ability to make these exceptions. And he goes into a, into a place, into the temple, and what does he do? Or actually, it would have been the sanctuary at the time. The temple wasn't there yet. He goes in and he takes the showbread, the bread of the presence, which would have been only for who to eat? The priests, right? And furthermore, it's, it's likely that he did this on the Sabbath. He went on a Sabbath day. And Jesus is pointing out, he says, hey, when David was in need and his men were hungry and they were on the run from Saul, the anointed king does what? Claimed the right to be able to do something, eat the bread of the presence, which represented God's fellowship, because he had the right to do so. Why? Because he was the king, the rightful king, Right? Why? Why was he able to do this? Because I think it was presumably, and it's funny that the scripture doesn't give a, a right or a wrong. Doesn't give an, it doesn't give an explanation. He just does it, and the priest even goes along with it, and he's, it's almost in some sense seen as an okay thing, right? He's anointed and waiting for his rightful place as king, and he and his ragtag group, you know, the guys, the group of guys that are with him, are waiting and getting something that doesn't belong to them because he's the rightful king and he has the authority to change the, the ability there, right? 
But if you think about this, what is Jesus doing here? Jesus, as Lucas told us earlier, back in chapter 1, verses 32 through 34, what was it said about him? Remember that it was pointing all the way back to a covenant given with David, that Jesus would be given what? Three things. Anybody remember this? this if you remember this, I'll give you total bonus points here. He was offered three things. There was a throne, uh-huh, and a, it goes along with that, a kingdom. Anybody remember the other one? That was, that's a different one. Worship. So he had an authority, he had a throne, and he had a kingdom. Okay? There's a sin, and it was going to be for what? Forever. So Luke points us back at the very beginning that this one baby that's coming, that's going to be born, will have all of this authority. Now, here's Jesus coming, and he's equating himself with who? David, the one who had authority. Here is one, Jesus, who has been in the Jordan River, done what? Anointed. Not by Samuel, but by the, God, by the Lord himself, right? Yahweh himself in the spirit coming down as a dove lighting on him and anointing him as the rightful king. And he's sitting here waiting until it comes to pass with what? A group of men along with him that are coming to take the rightful place. And what do you see? He picks up again for the second time that we've seen already in Luke, this title of the what? The son of man to show that he will indeed be proven by God in due course, I believe, to be the rightful king on the day that his opponents would be silenced and everything would be put to rights. So I think what Jesus is starting to do here and what Luke is helping us to understand about this man that's walking through and he has these opponents is that what mattered, it wasn't so much that his followers were breaking the Sabbath or not because in a sense they were and they weren't depending on what? Depending on which regulations you appealed to. But it's interesting, there is no actual law that prevents them from doing what they're doing. Go look through the Old Testament. There's nothing that's doing it. No law, but there are interpretations of the law to protect them from misabusing or from abusing the law that he was going against. But it also depended on which one you were going at. And what does Jesus do here? He catches up his opponents in this too. When he appeals to David, let me ask you a question. He puts it, he puts it back on them. When Jesus appeals to David, what is he doing here? If they say that Jesus himself is wrong to do what he and his disciples are doing, what are they in effect going to do? Say that who else is wrong? David. Now, they're not prepared, prepared to do that. Or else, they must say that Jesus is just like David, and therefore he is what? He's right. He's king. They have to admit he's right. And it's very interesting that Scripture doesn't condemn David, so nor could they do it either. Jesus puts it back on them. What matters here is not the regulations. What matters is that Jesus, being the true king, had the right to suspend the Sabbath regulations, and I believe he seemed it was fitting and it was necessary at this moment to do so just as David had done. What is Jesus doing in this moment? He is saying, I have the authority to do this. This is about, not about regulations. This is about authority. And Jesus, this man standing here, has every bit of it. Because what he's showing us is God's new world is breaking into what's going on in Israel. 
And the rules of the old had to be what? They had to be rethought. Remember last week? The new wine must be put into what? New wineskins. The new threads must not be put onto the old. What will happen both times if we take these old ways and try to put the new ones into them? They're going to break. They're going to fall apart. And they destroy not only the old, but they also destroy the new. Jesus is saying the old ways of which, what they're done have to be put away. Old ways have to be rethought. The new is coming. And I think the second story that's what's happening here as it goes on to another Sabbath kind of just hammers this point home, drives it home for us. I think what matters here is that God, the creator, is honored in what is done. God, the creator, is honored in what is done here. Now watch this. Watch this story. So what, what are they doing? The first time, the, the Pharisees, they saw something that Jesus and his followers did, and retroactively, they tried to do what? They tried to catch him up in it. They tried to get him to show that he had done something wrong in the law in order to take away the authority that he's claiming, right? He's making all of these things, and it seems to them that he stayed in the Holiday Inn Express last night, right? That he has no place to make these claims, no place to do these things, and so they're going to find a way to catch him up in the actions that he's already done. But they fail miserably at it, don't they? So what are we going to do? On another Sabbath, we have to rethink how we're going to go about this, right? Now, instead of getting in retroactively and trying to play catch-up, what are we going to do? We're going to be proactive. We're going to catch him in a violation of the law before he even does it. We're going to lay it out and we know where he's going. But if you think about it, technically, last time he didn't really actually technically uh, do the law, so we got to find a technical one to get him on. We, we failed last time. But Jesus, I love it, says, knowing their thoughts, right? And what they do, they watch Jesus, waiting for him to something, to something to catch him up in, but knowing his thoughts, I love what he does. He brings a guy up with a withered hand to stand. That happens after he knew what their thoughts were. I think knowing what they'd expect, what? Oh man, we got him. Jesus is going to reach out, and what's he going to do? He's going to do work. They see it coming. Last time it had happened, it's like, oh, 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 you can't do that. No, now they say, oh, he brings up a man, I think to give him a, a, a chance to go, aha, we, we've got him. Before he even does the thing, I already know what he's going to do. We got him, right? Little do they know. This is, this, is, this is how I imagine this in my head, okay? This is not, it doesn't say the details of exactly where things looked or whatever. This is kind of how I imagine this in my head of how Jesus went about this, okay? So this is, this is Christopher, it's not scripture. But come, one of you, come up here, Aiden, come up here. So Jesus calls this man up, right? This man that he knows has a withered hand. He's gonna have him stand here. And I imagine he says, hey, come up here. And I imagine he looks at the crowd and he says to them, Never looking at this man, he, he says to them, is it good or is it, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? Is it lawful to save a life or to take, destroy it? Side note, on the Sabbath, it was actually allowed, according to their traditions, to do what? To save a life. If a life was in danger, they were allowed to save it. But if it was not merely life-saving, it's best to what? Wait for any other day. 
And so Jesus looks at me and says, is it lawful to do good or to be, do evil? Is it lawful to heal or not? Stretch out your hand. No, this guy. Stretch out your hand. And what happens? Without lifting a finger of work, what happens? He's healed. Thank you. You can sit down. I imagine, ooh, I imagine that Jesus never even looked at him. That he kept his eyes fixed on those people that are waiting to catch him up in his law-breaking and he says, you're healed. What are they waiting for him to do? They're waiting for him to do a work. And he doesn't even lift a finger. What's going on here? If you remember back whenever we were in, in Leviticus and looking at the Sabbath, the Sabbath was always meant to be what? For the benefit of the people, right? Right? The Sabbath was not necessarily meant to be something that was an outward. It was meant to protect us, to protect the Jews from what? Overworking themselves, from never taking time to reflect on God, from never taking time to be in fellowship with one another and reach out, right? But it was certainly not ever created to do what? Keep from doing good for another person. And Jesus does something here. He puts him in another dilemma. He basically says, why delay doing something good that can be done right now? Why delay and do that? And if they say you need to wait, then they've completely missed the whole point of the Sabbath. And if they say, if they allow him, now they've completely lost their ability to, to attack Jesus. See, I think Jesus' action here is going to be an endorsement by God to do good on the Sabbath. Right? The endorsement comes in what? The endorsement by God upon Jesus for what he's claiming to be able to do happens in what? In the healing of this man. Because why? What would God not do if this man was truly a sinner, if this man was truly somebody that was fulfilling a, a role that he had no plan, no place fulfilling, what would God have done in that moment when he told him to stretch out his hand? Absolutely nothing. Because God is not going to give authority, not give an endorsement to somebody that is a sinner in that way. But if Jesus is right, God would heal. And I believe this is an audio-visual pointing to that very thing, pointing to the truth Jesus, and to its agent, the one who it's speaking through. It is a truth, this is a visible thing to say, this man, Jesus, is exactly who he says he is. He has the exact authority that he claims. And what Jesus does is he publicly displays his authority on the Sabbath and leaves it to his opponents to respond to what he's doing. Because God has shown his power and he has shown his compassion through this man, Jesus, time and time again. And the response, unfortunately, we see at the end, right? They were filled with mindless rage. You imagine being so upset, they miss everything because it's about being right and about my authority, not his. And this is the beginning of a turning point that's come. 
This is the first time official Judaism registers a negative vote against Jesus. But listen to this. The opposition's solidification has come. They're solid on knowing who they believe Jesus is. But Jesus' ministry will continue. Why? Because the way, he, the, the way that he brings does not rest on the authority of religious officials. They may have voted against Jesus, but the restoration of the withered hand reflects a divine vote of confidence for Jesus. It does not matter what they say. And I believe it no different today. The authority is in who Jesus says he is, and he has proven it over and over and over through his word. And it does not matter what the detractors may say. It does not matter with what, who those are authorities say otherwise. Jesus has the final say. The Father who gave him the authority and the Spirit who shows it through his life is the one whose vote matters, not mine and not yours. Jesus's matters. Note the difference. Do not miss the difference. And what I think Luke is doing here is he's preparing us for what's coming next. What's upcoming in these these next, he's going to change. He's going to call his disciples and he's going to begin to preach his message. And he's going to preach about a way in which Jesus begins to shape the growing community of his fathers, followers. He's going to grow them. He's going to bring them in. He's going to turn them into God's new Israel. The old ways are beginning to move away. The new is coming. And you cannot do it the way that you used to. And these people who he calls would live in God's new age all the way until today of you and I sitting here today being a part of that new age. And this people that he's calling are defined by their loyalty to Jesus as the true king, as the true son of man, And that they would already celebrate the new week that is coming. As they're sitting here, they're waiting for the new week that is coming after the final Sabbath is met at Jesus' death and resurrection. When all things are new and a new week has begun. Day seven of creation is over. The resurrection, the new week has begun. And those who follow him would no longer be bound by the Sabbath law, but they would, and no longer would they be part of the old creation that was drawing to a close. And Jesus is beginning to preach this and show his authority. What's kind of the application of this, this passage here? I, I think, I do believe, I think there's certainly things to be said about how we rethink the Sabbath, right? How do we live in a new way? A new week of creation as we looked at in Leviticus, right? When we looked at the Sabbath laws and we looked at all those things. I think it's true. There is a day of rejoicing. We live in a day of rejoicing, not in a day of mourning anymore. Remember last week we looked at, Jesus said what? There will come a day when my, the bridegroom is taken away and they will fast, but it's only going to be for a time because when he comes back, there is no time for, for mourning anymore because the bridegroom is here. The bridegroom has overcome and he has made a new marriage with his bride, the church. And there we are in a time of rejoicing. Amen. So we worship him. We feast in him. 
And I think we also, there's a Sabbath is merely, is not merely a day to do no work, as we've said. It's not a merely a day for me to sit back and flip on the boob tube and do nothing and say, nope, can't do it today. It's my Sabbath. Again, it's not a day for doing nothing, but it's a day that's set apart in order to do what Jesus has shown here is what? To do good to those who are in need. Why put off to tomorrow what can be done today in helping those who are in need? Amen? Those who have the burdens on them and need that aphesis, that lifting off of the burdens. What better day than the day that the Lord has given to give us rest so we might have the fullness of that? But as, as important as those things are, and as good as those things are, I believe the bigger question is this, is who is Jesus? Who is this son of man with the authority to say how this world works and how it doesn't work? Like Peter will be asked at the end of chapter 19, Peter, disciples, who do you say that I am? I believe that's the most important question that you and I can answer. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he merely a man? Is he merely someone that was smarter or a little more moral? He was just a good teacher. He's a nice guy, neglecting half the things that he said that didn't seem to make him such a nice guy, good moral teacher. Or is he the Lord of the Sabbath? Is he the rightful king, the one who owns our allegiance to him and has the say in our lives? Who do you say that Jesus is? I don't know of a better question that you can answer. And how we answer is not merely just with our mouths, but with our actions. If he's Lord, then our confession, as well as our lives, should be shaped by it. And we get busy living as such. Amen? Who is this Lord of Sabbath that we see walking around? Is the truth in him or is it not? It is up to every one of us to decide. Do you know him? Do you know him as your Lord? Let's pray.